The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 1. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Context. Six months earlier, the angel Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth, the two of whom had never had children, though not for lack of praying and not for lack of trying. In those days, bearing children was viewed as the essential vocation for a woman. In those days, too, the inability to do so was always deemed to be the fault of the woman who, most assumed, was in this situation because she was being frowned upon by God. And no doubt for good reason, because of course everybody knew bad things don't happen to good people. And while she may have been pitied by some for it, she was judged and shamed by most for it. Indeed, her husband could, with the full blessing of church and state, even judged and divorced her for it. But Zechariah loved Elizabeth, and they instead made peace with it. They indeed wanted a child, but they were never going to have a child. You've heard the saying, you know how to make God laugh, tell God your plans. Here's a corollary. You know how to make God laugh, tell God what God can't do. And so the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah to say that he and his wife would at last have a child, even though, even though Zechariah then in fact did say, can't be, it came to be. 
And so when their next Social Security check arrived, they canceled their membership at the senior center and used the money to start furnishing a nursery. And Elizabeth was once again the talk of the neighborhood, but not now for her shame and the belief that she had been judged by God, but for her joy and for her miracle and that she had been so blessed by God. Elizabeth, Luke tells us, was Mary's kinswoman, her cousin perhaps, but her relative in one way or another for sure. Over the years, they saw each other occasionally at the same family reunions. I'm imagining Elizabeth over the years thinking of Mary as something like the child she'd never have. But now Luke writes near the end of Elizabeth's second trimester with the child she thought she'd never have, the angel Gabriel appeared again, this time to Mary, to tell her that she too would have a miraculous birth. This time miraculous not because the mother would be so advanced in years as to be barren, but rather but because the mother would be so young in years as to be yet a virgin. How young a virgin? It does not say. But it does say that she was engaged to Joseph. And we do know that in those days, soon as and what a primary vocation for a woman was to have children, as soon as a young woman's body became physically able to conceive, she was generally, as soon as the arrangements could be finalized, betrothed, and then married immediately to start having children. Which is to say there's every reason to believe that Mary, give or take, was 14 or 15 years old, 16 tops. She told the angel that she had no idea how it could be that she could have a child without having been with her fiancé or any man. The angel said the Holy Spirit can make it be. To which Mary said, then let it be. To me, just as you have said according to God's will and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know one way to make God smile with delight? Pray that prayer. Try it daily. Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let it be to me and through me according to your will. Which takes us to our text for today, which begins by saying that Mary then, seemingly pretty much immediately, certainly in the very next sentence, traveled, presumably by herself, some 90 miles from Nazareth in Galilee to a town in the Judean foothills near Jerusalem to visit her kinswoman Elizabeth, whom the angel had told her was miraculously pregnant too. Why did she make that trip, do you suppose? It was a long one for sure, and not without danger for sure. Some suggest it's because just as barren older women were shamed, single pregnant women were shamed too. What's more, where for a barren older woman there was the threat of being divorced in her shame, for a pregnant unmarried woman there was the very real threat of being stoned to death for your obviously sinfully adulterous shame. 
All of which may well have been part of the reason she did leave Galilee for Judea after the angel appeared to her, but I imagine there was more than that. I imagine it was too, because faith most often cannot rise to be its best unless it is flamed, its flame burns in company with the faith of others. I imagine, in other words, that part of why she made the trip was that though she did believe the miracle she, she'd been promised, she, of course, didn't understand it, not even one little bit. And I imagine she wanted to be with someone who understood that. Someone who, just like her, had been promised a miracle she didn't understand, a miracle which, by now, was within her, literally and visibly, six months along. I think she went to see Elizabeth, in other words, because she knew that Elizabeth wouldn't shame her. She wouldn't marvel with her. And in marveling together, maybe there would be some things they would both begin better to understand and even more strongly to believe. You want to know one way to miss out on and misunderstand a lot of what God is up to and doing in the world? Look only in the direction of those whom the world idolizes and covets, rather than in the direction of those whom the world shames and shuns. Indeed, you want to be actually part of what God is up to and doing in the world? Reach out to. Love those whom the world shames and shuns. For that is God at work in the world, ground zero. When Mary arrived, she greeted Elizabeth, at which point said Elizabeth, the child in her womb, leaped for joy. At that stage of pregnancy, my understanding, I do not speak from experience, at that stage of understanding, it's quite likely that for several weeks now, Elizabeth had already experienced the quickening of her little one beginning to turn and shift and flutter and maybe even have begun to start to shove and kick and leap, as it were. It happens routinely for most every pregnant mother, is my understanding. But this leap, Elizabeth told Mary, wasn't that. This leap was her child, John, even from the womb, foreshadowing already, doing already what he had been promised to the world to do, and that is to herald the arrival of his cousin, who would be the savior of the world. You want to know one way to start routinely seeing more miracles than you currently maybe see? Pay closer attention to things and events too easily dismissed by the unseeing as ordinary or routine. Like the grandpa who, asked by his grandchild if he had ever seen God, replied, Child, it's gotten to the point anymore where I can't see anything but God. Elizabeth then, filled by the Holy Spirit, says, Luke said to Mary, and who can imagine how affirming this must have been for this teenaged mother-to-be whose womb within her was already home to a miracle, already conceived, but so early on, who knows? She may not have even yet had the confirming evidence 
of missing her first period. And so how affirming must it surely have been to her and to her faith when the first thing Elizabeth does, without Mary apparently having said anything except, hello, cousin, is to immediately bless and praise and proclaim and to affirm and even to prophesy, saying to Mary, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord has come to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who did believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Do you know how to be an Elizabeth still today? As God continues to be present and at work in the world? bless and encourage and affirm and nurture faith any place you come across it. And remembering the promises of God, remind yourself and remind others that in God's time and in God's ways, God always keeps God's promises. At which point Mary, and I so love this about her, at this point, Mary did not just praise, pray, and prophesy. She sang her praise and her prayers and her prophecies. An Advent devotional I am reading quoted something that St. Augustine apparently may or may not actually have said, but I find it oh so true whether or not he actually said it, that truth being that the one who sings prays twice which, as I understand it, is to say that words prayed are certainly prayers, but words sung are twice the prayer. For the music carries with it something that words alone can't, which Mary, I think, at this point can't not turn to here in the story, for she is now so full of wonder and faith and joy and the Holy Spirit that words alone aren't enough to give expression to it all, and so she does sing. And in doing so, she gives, me a, gives us a wonderful reminder that in Luke's telling anyway, from the very beginning, the Christmas story has never not been a musical. The song she sings begins, My soul magnifies the Lord. And ever since the fourth century, when St. Jerome translated the Bible into Latin, where that verse reads, Magnificat anima mea dominum. Her song has ever been remembered in the Western Church anyway as the Magnificat. And there are those who make the case, and it's a, it's a pretty strong case, that what she sang is the greatest Christian hymn of all time, which could be debated. My father, for example, would have said that How Great Thou Art, sung by George Beverly Shea himself, is the greatest hymn of all time, and others might opt for a something like Luther wrote. But uh, it's understandable, wherever you go in the debate, that countless composers of the, over the years have set this hymn to music. Some of them, like Bach, for example, with multiple settings. It's also been incorporated musically into liturgies throughout the centuries, including here at Gloria Day, for example, every Wednesday evening in Lent, when we sing the version of Mary's hymn set to music of Holden's evening prayer liturgy. 
And Luther's Day, Mary's Magnificat was sung pretty much every Sunday of the year at worship. On ordinary Sundays, it was sung in German. On festival Sundays, it was sung in Latin. Luther wrote music for both. Magnificat anima mea dominum. My soul magnifies the Lord. The English translation could be actually translated, my soul glorifies the Lord, my soul praises the Lord, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and knowing that probably helps us understand it a little better. But as far as the actual translation, I like the word magnifies. And I like it remembering at least one other way we use that same word when we use it to refer to a magnifying glass, which does what? It takes things you can't see and it makes them seeable. What Mary here does is want all to see how great is the greatness of a God who would love and include in God's plan for the ages the likes of the lowliness of her. There are many themes in the Magnificat. I'm not going to preach them all soon. Soon and very soon, as in about two minutes from now, together we're going to sing them all. Because I think Mary's words need more than sermons. I think they need music. Let me introduce our singing of the song by just telling you this. Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, calls all people to repent, which means literally to turn, and in which case John specifically means to turn from sin by way of turning toward the coming judge of sinners. Mary, in her song, looks at a God who, in her son, will be the one who does the most important turning. First of all, by turning with mercy to sinners, and second of all, by turning with compassion toward the lowly, the vulnerable, the humble, those ignored, except when they are being judged and or shamed and or used, by those powerful with the kind of power the world calls powerful and covets powerfully. And in doing so, he turns the world and its ways upside down. Actually, that's not quite accurate. Biblically speaking, the world and its ways, all the garbage you can't not hear and read and see, is what's upside down. And what Mary's son is coming to do is turn our upside-down world right side up again. If you think that's not true, if you think I'm overstating to say that the world, including God bless America, is upside down and in dramatic need of being right side upped again, listen to how about an hour of CNN, then an hour of Fox News, and then an hour if your stomach can handle it, one more. Take your pick. And then then, then, read, for example, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And then, then, seeing what you will see if you do what I said, join Mary in praising and praising and praying for the one for whom we wait and who does come and who will come to make things right again. And then, 
then, as we all wait for that final advent when the right side upping of all will be complete once and for all, as you wait, look around again. And with the promised power and presence of the Holy Spirit, like Mary and Elizabeth, be part of God's plan for the ages by being part of God's love and mercy and compassion, present and at work in the world, in you. Amen.